Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 64 of the Corona Diaries. What? 64? Jesus Christ. There, there's something in this actually because it's we're well over 100 hours now. Of pornography. Of porn. Of solid <laughs> of, wall-to-wall. Of filth. <laughs> of just filth. <laughs> now, it's 100, if you count the extra content for the purples, we're, we're well north of 100 hours by now. Gosh. I know. Community service. I know. I know it does. It's it's, it's a tad worrying, and, and having just had fifteen minutes off, Mike, about your exploits this morning, <laughs> there's years of this to go yet. We've done a hundred hours. We can go and have our security tags removed now this yeah, afternoon. We can. We can. <laughs> our security tags removed. Anyway, yeah. anyway, with yeah. the, you've had a morning already, oh, but we won't go Lord. there. Oh my lord! Exploding light bulbs I've had. Exploding and, light bulbs and, and seized up electrical s- screws. Oh, you've been repairing things, haven't you? Yes. There's always that suspicion that you've left it live and it's going to blow your teeth out as well. You know, it just adds a frisson of tension to the process. <laughs> well, I you you messaged me because we were supposed to talk at half ten, and you messaged me and said, "Can we do 11? <laughs> and then you messaged me at eleven and said. <laughs> I'm in the middle of an electrical repair rabbit hole. Can we do 11.30? Yeah. Knee deep in WD-40 I was by that point. <laughs> Knee deep. And, and I mentioned it to Alison and she just, she cocked one eye up and she looked at me and she, she sort of just said, you'll be recording tomorrow then, won't you? And I was like, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> no face. It's all fine it's and everybody's happy and everybody's she's safe. met me, that's what it is. Just don't turn the lights on in your kitchen. Right. Mm. So, TCD64, we are going to talk about books. We've put it off for two weeks on the bounce. We're going to talk about books. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Are you ready for this? Yes. Because it's going to go downhill after the diary reading. Damn it, yes. Is it? Well, the diary reading's a little bit graphic, and we're going to have to dwell on some topics. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to mm. be a little bit more earthy, shall we say, after mm. the diary reading. Well, um... Yes, life yes. on the road. The, yes, uh, so we'll try for highbrow side. before. Yeah, go go for highbrow and then we'll go for the ugly side of life on the road. Right. Well, the bits I can tell. Yes. Anyway, books. So here's the reason for books. This is where books came from. So the very first time you and I recorded a podcast, hmm. it wasn't this one. It was hmm. one that we did a, a while back for my former employee, employer, sorry, sure, and we talked about crowdfunding. We talked about um, the American tour and um, the um, be Anarachnophobia album, wasn't it? The tour fund and, the, and all, the tour fund. all of that malarkey, yes. And while we were talking about that, we happened to talk a little bit about Peter Pan. 
Oh, yes. J.M. Um, and it turned out that the bit in Peter Pan, because uh, obviously it's, it's, you, you referenced Peter Pan a hell of a lot in the end section of, of Neverland. I threw a few in, yeah. You threw a few in. And we happened to talk about the book, and we, the bit that struck us both about the book was actually on the first couple of pages, and the description in the first few pages about Mrs. Darling, I guess. Hmm. I don't know what she's called, actually. What's the mother called? Perhaps he doesn't say. I oh. don't know. I could go hmm. and get it. I've got it on the I've got it on the shelf, shelf. upstairs. Mm, maybe maybe shelf. when we're doing the diary, I'll nip and fetch it. All right. And we'll have a look. We'll anyway, the, there's, there's, there's talk in that about her, her character, the mother, and the fact that, the, that there's a, uh, a kiss in the top corner of her lips that nobody can ever get to. And I thought <laughs> that was a really intriguing and lovely little image, and I thought that was the best bit in the book, and so did you. <laughs> yeah. And with that in mind, I thought, you know what, let's talk, about, let's talk about books. So first question, outside of Peter Pan, what other books have influenced bits of lyrics? And it could be poetry as well. Yeah, well, straight away, um, Yeats, uh, obviously uh, Easter 1916 influenced Easter. The Second Coming, um, I kind of paraphrase in uh, Gaza. It's like a nightmare rose up slanting towards Bethlehem. Um, so those two... Um, was there anything Karawacky around Afraid of Sunlight time? Not really. Although I could see how you'd think think uh, that I actually hadn't even read On the Road. Uh, I re- I read that since. It, mm. it may well have influenced what John Helmer wrote because uh, a lot a lot of those road lyrics were were by Helmer. Mm. Um, and he probably was channeling that, and I was I was more channeling Paris, Texas, in a way. Yeah, um, I was channeling the movie. Um, I'm just trying to think through. You're going to have to give me a list of songs, and I'm going to tell you if, if there's so many of them. There's hundreds. Mm. Um, well, well, let's let's quickly go album then. So, first album, you've said the Easter's. Of course, um, East yeah. is obviously influenced by. Uh, if we go through tracks on there, King of Sunset Town, that was, that was a Helmer lyric anyway, wasn't it? But that's got, you put the edge of Tiananmen I, Square in. But that's I, the Yeah, I ended book. up writing quite a lot of that lyric. And, and, but that came from the news rather than yeah. from, from books. That came from what was actually happening on the six o'clock news. Um, Puppet King on the 4th of June. We were probably in Hook End Manor on the 4th of June. Mm-hmm. Um, when when those tanks were rolling into Tiananmen, so uh, that was from the news. Berlin was one of John's. Hooks and you was just a lot of nonsense. Um, Holloway Girl was just from a memory of walking past Holloway Prison. Uh, and seeing, seeing a, a hand reaching out of a window and wondering. Um, so nothing really um, overtly from from literature, I don't think. I ha- you know, I haven't really. I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of pop and rock writers do go looking 
to to you know to popular mm. literature and they mine that a little bit um you know sting with the, the old tea in the sahara was from the sheltering sky wasn't it i i, I read that i mm. thought it was quite an interesting book i didn't i didn't enjoy it much but then i found it it kind of stuck with me uh so i think it's it's a better book than i thought it was when i read it um i did the i did the same with the stones i read uh master and margarita um which is uh sympathy for the devils based on on that uh, okay and i read that bulgakov i read that after that um and obviously don't stand so close to me references lolita as well doesn't it, it number coffee yeah 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 it does that's that's from his days school teaching isn't it Hmm. Let's talk about Sting songs. I think I've got more to say about them. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on to books anyway in terms of wider things of books. I was just starting with songs to see what was what you know what maybe had, had ended up landing from yeah. a from a, um, a a literary reference. Because if you take Berlin as an example, I mean that has got that element of spy who came in from the cold about it. Hmm. It's got it's got a definitely the carry feel about it. Well, I'm a huge fan of Le Carre, um, not just as a writer, which is certainly enough of a reason, but as a human being and as, a, as an intellect and, uh, you know, his, his, his window on the world. If, you, if, you've ever, if you've ever seen Le Carre being interviewed or, or, or speaking, he was an incredibly cool guy as well as being an amazing writer. Mm. And... Considering his past working in the Foreign Office as a spy, you know, for, for British intelligence and having been the headmaster of Eton School, you would expect him to have very right-wing views, but uh, quite the reverse. He was an extremely cool and liberal guy with a lot of criticism for a great many of our more recent leaders um, could not stand Tony Blair, for instance. Um, I shouldn't imagine he would have had a lot of time for our, the current set either. No. Uh, no. But he's a really, really nice guy and a, and a guy who tended to champion the cause of of the downtrodden and the wretched of the earth, you know, and, and, and sort of tended to drag those into his books and, broad, you know, broaden those issues. Really, but, but again, whether, whether I've ever channeled him into anything, he wrote a book that wasn't a spy book called The Naive and Sentimental Lover, which is quite a nice, interesting book. Um, the Impact Defines the Shape. I don't know if I used that. I've been meaning to use that forever. Um, that was uh, about boxing. Um, that um, you know, you had to be hit. You mm. had you, you had to be hit to gain a shape. Um, and I guess that's a, a metaphor for life mm. in general. I loved that, and I don't think I ever got round to using it. But um, it still floats about as a something to throw in of course and now i've gone and said it here a bit like the <laughs> cross station in the bus station i'm using all my best lines up yeah slight difference in tone between those two but 
I don't know how they fit in the same lyric, but I see what you're saying. I remember you mentioning Naive and Sentimental Lover in an interview somewhere. I think somebody once asked you your favourite book and you gave a... Um, answer in terms of uh, here's the highbrow answer that that I want to put to paper but here's the real answer <laughs> and you gave naive and sentimental lover as the real answer oh did I well that's mm. pretty highbrow actually um I can't yeah I can't think what the other one was probably war and peace because I do I mean I, I do really rate Tolstoy as a writer um and I did I did plow my way through that and really enjoyed it um, but again, I don't know if it's made its way into any of the songs. Um, maybe it all just sits at the back like clouds, mm. you know. Um, I mean, what what Tolstoy concluded at the end of War and Peace is that is what I'd concluded anyway, privately to myself, which is that. Um, history and fate and the way things turn out is pretty bloody random and more random than we would like to feel because our egos um, lead us to want to feel responsible for how things turn out. So if things go particularly well, we go, oh, yes, well, we planned that and we made that happen. And the fact is... You know, any one random happenstance can undo all our careful planning Mm -hmm. um, and does. Um, Just as when two armies go into battle, they can plan till they're blue in the face, but as soon as the first shot's fired, it's just bloody chaos. And who wins takes the credit, but... It's not down to any kind of the genius of a general. It's down to pure bloody chance. They, you know, they won, so they wrote. They wrote the book. Yeah. The people who lost don't get to write the book, um, and that's really what Tolstoy ends up saying at the end of War and Peace, um, having detailed quite a lot. You know, the Battle of Borodino and all of that. Uh, he writes really brilliantly about that. But again, you know, he, he, he's saying they're, they're all lined up to go into battle and as soon as the first shot's fired, there's so much smoke, nobody can see anything. So nobody knows where anything is and they've got all these soldiers scrabbling around. They can't see each other, let alone the enemy. And then they engage the enemy. They're not really quite sure who the enemy is because almost within no time at all, both sides are intermingled and confused. So it's just an absolute chaos. Um, and then at the end, somebody's won, you know, and a load of people lay dead. Um, and then in the history books, it's all, it's all rationalised and made sense yeah. of, and, oh, this is why they won, because they were outflanked by Blair and this, that and the other. And Tolstoy politely sort of points out that that's mainly bollocks, and I agree with him. <laughs> so, so I'm a big fan of Tol. I like the Russians. Um, who wrote Crime and Punishment? The other bloke, um, Dostoevsky. Yeah, I like him a lot as well. Uh, so I've, I read a bit of Dostoevsky. I read a bit of um, a bit of Tolstoy. I read Madame Bovary and didn't really 
get too far into it. I thought that was dull. Um, I, re- <laughs> I read the Lady Chatterley's Lover. Um, that's not really <laughs> worth it either. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, you can't go. You can't go wrong with a bit of Le Carre. Who else is on my shelves? You, you you quite like a bit of Dickens as well, don't you? I love Dickens. Yeah, love Dickens. Mm. He was an amazing writer. Very easy to read. Very funny. Mm. You know, laugh out loud funny here mm. and there. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm in a I'm in a book club in the village, and uh, I've I think I've chosen a couple of Dickens over over the years and a bit of Le Carre. Don't know who I chose last time. Um, I'm not really that widely read. I don't think I don't I don't voraciously re- read. I only joined the book club because I thought it would force me to read a bit more. But most of what I write isn't really taken from previous art. It's it's written from feeling and instinct, mm. to be honest. Um, it's it it's it's my wind. I won the world. Uh, whether whether it could be more sophist- a, a more sophisticated window, if I read more books, uh, I doubt because it had just become a more derivative. There's no mm. point in being sophisticated if you're just taking that from other people's sophistication. Um, what you're going to bring into the world with that that, that hasn't been brought into the world already. Um, so. I think the best thing you can ever do is 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 to just just do your own thing. You need a little bit of craft. I mean, no one can paint a great picture if they don't know how to paint. Um, but once they've mastered their own way of producing a a person or a tree or a bloody bowl of fruit, you know that's the point where you should stop studying, and, and because then you've you you found your own voice, um, and then you should do your own thing. And even if that's not technically as brilliant as Leonardo da Vinci, then it doesn't really matter because da Vinci's already done it. Who you know? What's the point of another Mona Lisa? You need a, you need another perspective. Um, and I can't hold a candle to Leonard Cohen and I can't hold a candle to Joni Mitchell, I don't think. All I can do is do my own thing, just as they did. Although the more I read from, from Cohen, the more respect I've got for him. That's probably true of Joni as well. So you tend to go to other songwriters a little bit rather than books per se, uh, you know, he will search until he's found a way to take the days. Um, so he tried in his own way to find the heart of the tight-packed rose. They weren't taken from mm. books. They were just how I felt. Um, but if you heard those lines, you might think, oh, oh, he's nicked that from somewhere. You know, where's he got that? Because it is quite a... 
an interesting notion. Well, you could say the same about, I was thinking of, because I was going through songs and, and Memory of Water is something mm. that you look at and think that feel, that's quite a literary lyric. It is, but I think it's also to do with science. I never wrote that. Um, that's another one of John's. But it, I think it was a science, scientific notion that um, you can detect, you know, when you, when, when you add water to a salt or a compound, um, you can then, you know, like the sea, you can detect even the most minuscule um, quantities of other elements within it. You know, I mean, sharks can sniff blood 10 miles away, for mm. instance. So water has a memory in that if you, um, if you take a sample of water and, you, you know, you know the chemistry and you know and you've got the machines, you can find out even the most, you know, parts in a million um, of of what is in it. So in that sense, uh, water has a memory. If you were a detective and you're looking for something in a solution, then uh, you you can find it because it retains it. So I think that was the literal inspiration of memory of water. But then, of course, it's a metaphor for um for life and for 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 your own memories um but i never wrote that i i don't think i added i mean i probably threw mm. one line in memory water i'm damned if i can remember what it was one of my hopes if my robe still hang from the tree by the standing pool where you drank me mm. and filled me full of thirsty love I mean, that's obviously a metaphor for lovemaking. Your taste is blood and ecstasy. I probably threw ecstasy in. <laughs> I'll, I'll put a quid on that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my... Oh, a dove, but this bird has flown. I think I threw that in as well. There's, there's certainly... That, that was an ecstasy reference as well, because <laughs> of the little some, doves on the if you take If you take, like, bits of, of fear, I could I could say there's certain bits of fear that, that feel like they have a literary reference to them. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's the, the whole section at the end of uh, El Dorado, you, you know the 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 school song and the what have you all that section that you you could feel some kind of maybe Evelyn War type of literal thing in there, but it's a hint more than a direct. It's not necessarily anything the lyric. It's what's it's 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 the fact they're evocative. But then, if I think of other things that that you've written, you do you do it's it's it does feel quite movie like. You do paint those images. Very yeah, well. I, th I think it just comes naturally, you know, from my own thoughts and feelings and memories. Um, remember a time when you thought you might have believed in the school song Die for Your Country? Yeah, that was, you know, Land of Hope and Glory, obviously, and, and um, Jerusalem, all of those Etonian notions. 
um, that 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 our current leaders are still harking back to. Uh, you know, a time that's long gone in every way. I don't know what it is. They have this romantic notion, don't they, of of England. Um, well, it's actually just one or two fixed points in time as well. It's not even England over a period of, say, a few decades. It's, you know, it's Dunkirk or it's the Normandy mm. landings or it's, it's these three or four things, mm. you know. It's not even the bits of shit that went in between. No, which, again, if you'd been at any of those things, you wouldn't recognise <laughs> them from the history books either. No. So that, you don't mean a rush to go back? You would not be in a rush to go back. <laughs> Nobody's saying, pop me back on that beach, lads. I'll have another couple of hours. <laughs> yes. Well, oh, those were the days. <laughs> I booked that no. day chair for six hours on uh, Dunkirk Beach. I only had it for three. The one thing I've always heard people say, and it was it was uh, our own experience as well. My my father's brother was a bit older than him, so he fought in the war, and my dad was lucky enough to be too young. Um, but his brother was older, and he was in uh, Burma, what is now Myanmar, fighting hand to hand in the jungle against the Japanese, and he never spoke about it. Never. My granddad was the same. He was you in know. Burma. He never spoke about it. They don't speak about it. They don't hark back to it. They don't think of it as a glorious time. No. They just think of it as a box. They've got to keep the lid on for their sanity. Yeah. You know, and there's as much pain in that box and as much shame in that box, more than they can deal with. And the only way to cope with it is is to remove it, to, to mm. you know, to slice it out. You never hear all... The only people who hear talking about war are the fuckers who never fought in them. Mm. I'll go with that. Excuse my So French. back on to books before we finish <laughs> and wrap up. Let's try at least make it seem like we've done something on books. Um, <laughs> we have recommended... We've recommended one book to each other over the years that's, that's landed. Only one, right? Um, you recommended a book to me called Cooking with Fernabranca. <laughs> That's a funny book. Which is hilarious. It, that is very funny. Uh, and uh, and, and for the, I'm trying to think of which, which was the dog that was a bugger to bone. <laughs> <laughs> which is about a guy who, who cooks with the strangest of ingredients, and it's fantastic. I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who wrote it. <laughs> But but that was your recommendation to me, and I bought it, it and it was brilliant. Been, it might have been a Jack Russell. <laughs> it was a Jack Russell. <laughs> and for a while afterwards, you'd, you'd randomly text me with, oh, them Jack Russells are a bugger to bone. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, which was... I remember passing a big a big thing. I was, in, I was in Germany. I was in Berlin. I sent you a big poster of, of Fernabranca. They were doing one of those big things, and you said, I just got back, all them Jack Russells are a bugger to bone. (laughs) Um, And then I recommended to you a gentleman in Moscow. You did? Yes, uh, old uh, Towles, wasn't it? Amor? Amor Towles. Amor Towles. Yes, that's a lovely book. book. And that's about the extent of our book sharing. That's about a man who just is placed in in a situation of... Terrible adversity in a way, isn't it? He's he's had his freedom removed, mm. and yet he he has such grace that he finds he finds a way to 
make a a really pleasant life for himself. Oh, it's it's, be- it's almost a little bit Peter Pan esque, actually, in 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 that whole creating the alternate reality. But he's under house mm. arrest in a hotel in Russia, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, in Moscow, obviously, um, and and it, but it's it's about I think it covers about forty or fifty years, doesn't it? It's a real long period. Yes, uh, and he adopts um, a little girl, and, doesn't he? He adopts a little girl. He one does. Point. It's an amazing, amazing story. Mm. So, so those are, the, those are the only two. So, if we leave you with nothing else today. Cooking with Fernabranca, which I'll, I'll in the notes I'll put a link to both of these so we can find out who wrote. It. I can't remember what his name was. He wrote three, didn't he? There were three in the in the series. Yes, yeah, uh, we, we put that in the notes because that that's thoroughly recommended. Although oh. I, I'm not sure I've channeled it into the songwriting much. <laughs> I, I, I think we'd have known if you'd channeled that into anything. <laughs> I don't know what that would have landed in, and 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 gentlemen in Moscow. Which now there's a book I could I could imagine being channeled into something. Yes, perhaps I tell you what. There's uh, Gavi Bilhana, um, and the, who was a Kashmiri poet. Um, his poem was translated by Edwin Powis Mathers. Um, Oxford 19-something or other, um, and published under the name Black Marigolds. And I quoted that uh, right at the very end of White Paper. Right. Even now, my eyes, which hurry to see no more, are painting faces of my lost girl. And I was brought to it by John Steinbeck, who quotes it, in uh, Cannery Row. And I can thoroughly recommend John Steinbeck as a writer as well. I I really love his writing. Of course, the other one we do know you were reading um, was Love in the Time of Cholera. Yeah, go and see Marquez. I I don't know... I don't know if I took anything from that either, other than... The illustration on the front. the, The artist who'd made the illustration was commissioned to for the holidays in Eden cover. Um, but the only things that I took from that book really were the were the gypsies on the flying carpets, um, which I don't know. Have, have you read that book? That, I've not that, read it, Well, no. it's, about, it's about people in a, in a small, it's hardly even a village, it's a settlement in the rainforest. Um, is it in Peru or is it it's somewhere in South America? And... He's writing it from their perspective, so they they've never seen the outside world. Um, they and it's written at a time when they wouldn't have seen the outside world. It was before the Coca Cola T shirts made their way into the uh, the Amazonian rainforest, um, and so everything is amazing. Everything that and the only people they ever they ever meet from the outside world are these gypsies who, who travel and sell things and they sell magnifying glasses which you know um, glasses which can make things bigger which blow their minds you know uh, and they and they come into the village on flying carpets and go and go and go whizzing past the windows of the the houses and of course that's no more fantastical than the than the magnifying glasses or anything else that the gypsies have 
And that just sets you thinking about the human condition and how there are things which you which are incredible but you know are real, like an iPhone. You know, I mean, imagine if you found an iPhone in yeah. 1960, you'd think it had fallen out of a bloody yeah. spaceship. Um, and then there are other things which you go, oh, well, that plainly can't happen, like a fly, like someone going past on a flying carpet. But um, what Marquez did was was he threw all of those things into the equation as equally possible and equally mind blowing. I like that. You know, and, that's great. And then and then equally mundane. Mm. You know, they as soon as you'd seen a few gypsies go by on flying carpets, there was nothing extraordinary about that at all, as there wouldn't be if it happened now. You know, if somebody went past this window on a bloody broomstick. That would blow my mind. But if 10 people went by every day, I'd go, oh, that'll be, that'll be somewhere on a broomstick again. You know, that's how we are, isn't it? We just <laughs> we get, we get used to anything, which, you know, is, is, is something I explored on Living With The Big Lie, that you, you, we're able to very quickly get used to anything, you know, no matter how strange or how obscene. It becomes wall wallpaper for us. Um, that's that's the human condition, isn't it? The, the the ability to be to be shocked is temporary. We absorb it, and then it's no longer shocking. I'm just making a mental note that when you start saying to me, "Oh, they've just gone past on the broomsticks again," that I probably ought to call Lynetta. <laughs> So yeah, you don't see as many of those as you used to, do you? <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, when you said to me there's a guy walking around the village with a pig on a lead, I didn't, I didn't bat an eyelid. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Normalise that one very quickly. Right, let's get to a bit of diary. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't... Um, I couldn't... Well, no, I think that was, that was really interesting, anything. actually. Um, <laughs> I, I know it, it was because it... There's not a lot. There's not a lot that's worked its way into the into the lyrics. There's odd things that have worked their way into the words, and that's great. But I think I think just the bits you've you've read, and there are other bits sitting in the background. And I think it's uh, you know it all it all adds into the mix. It's part of the special. They sit source. in the background, really. That that's that's the case. They're, they're very rarely nicked wholesale. They're, they just float about like clouds. I think. Um, and when I do, when I do steal something wholesale, there's a song on the forthcoming album that is inspired by and dedicated to Leonard Cohen, and and it's inspired by um, he wrote a book called Book of Longing. So there's a couple of references in that lyric to what's written inside that book. Um, so there's a brand new one that I hadn't thought about. Right, come on, let's get off to uh, let's get off to New Haven. I think Toad's Place. Yeah, place yeah. that. Which, actually, before we go there, I'll quickly ask you: you'd been to Canada, but it's not in the diary. I must have had a good time. I think yeah. <laughs> when when things vanish, it's either because I'm having a particularly good time or or there wasn't time. But that's usually because I'm having a good time. Right. We well, had a great time in Canada then. I must have had a great time in Canada yeah. because there's no mention of it, is there? No. Um, no. Or maybe I just, uh, you know, was asleep a lot. 
<laughs> that quite often happens on tour because I just get to a point where if I don't go to bed for a day and a half, I'm going to die. <laughs> right, well, we'll get to New Haven. Where is New Haven, by the way? In uh, Connecticut. Right. And it's where Yale University is. Right. Um, Harvard is in Boston and Yale is in New Haven. Right. New Haven is where we are heading uh, and we'll join you there momentarily. Monday, 7th of August, New Haven, Toad's Place. Arrived at the Holiday Inn around 9.30, checked in and made my way to the breakfast room for a spot of scrambled eggs and toast. My complimentary copy of USA Today carried the headline that the Croats have taken to arms once more and retaken the Krajina region of former Yugoslavia from the Serbs, who had taken it from them at the beginning of this bloody ethnic war that has dragged on now for four years, despite the efforts, some might say impotent and half-hearted, of the United Nations. I was joined at breakfast by Steve Rothery, John the bus driver, and Stuart, who had spent the weekend here in New Haven. No passport. He said it had rained for two days. The weather seemed to have recovered. It was once again sunny and sticky outside. After breakfast, I decided to postpone sleep until after sound check today and go and enjoy New Haven, perhaps do a little shopping. Plan A was to try and find a computer spares place where I might buy a new battery for this little grey box I'm typing on. I was directed to the computer centre, a place on a map about half an hour's walk from the centre of New Haven. I stopped on the way to try and buy a carrying case for my headphones. I keep breaking the plastic hangers when they're stuffed in my bag. Not to be. The man in the hi-fi shop suggested a shaving kit bag. After having got a bit lost, I found the computer centre. No wonder I'd walked past it. It looked like a college building. It was a college building. Some bright spark had assumed I was a student and sent me here. To make matters worse, I was shown into a room full of computer systems and told that, yes, they do have a replacement battery for a PowerBook 100, but that they can't sell one to me because I'm not a student at Yale. Damn. For ten grand, I could have probably enrolled for a term, but then it seems a little excessive for a battery. I returned across town via the shops, looking for a certain jewellery shop where I'd bought earrings for Dizzy last time. Unfortunately, the shop is no longer there. I returned to Toad's Place, the gig, through one of the college's lawned quadrangles, reminding me of those wonderful stop-frame sequences in The Graduate, Simon and Garfunkel floating around in my mind. Arrived back at the venue, humming Scarborough Fair, and wondering if Dustin Hoffman has ever been to Jimmy Corrigan's. Jimmy Corrigan's was a famous amusement arcade in Scarborough. There were already a handful of people outside. Most of them said they'd been to the Boston show, and that it was awesome, which seems to be the most common phrase here for something better than all right. Chatted to Priv, who complained affably about the band turning up during the day to eat the crew's lunch. 
It's a shame we can't work with him all the time. I miss the abuse. Returned in the afternoon sunshine to the hotel, stopping off at a burger joint for junk lunch and mooching around the tourist shops that sell the Yale T-shirts. Got back to my room to find a fax from Dream Theatre's manager to request passes for Mike, their drummer, for tonight's show. Called him and told him it was no problem. Soundcheck wasn't pleasant. We've played Toads three times now and although we always bring the house down, my sound at centre stage is always atrocious. It's something to do with the room. After soundcheck, there was an interview with the cable TV team, which unfortunately went on almost until showtime, so it was all a bit of a dash to get back to the hotel and pick up my things. I could have really done with a couple of hours in bed at some point today, and consequently felt a little tired during the show. I don't think anyone in the crowd noticed. They were all too busy going nuclear. What a crowd. I've probably said this before, but sometimes... I feel like we should pay to see them. After the show, I was complimented by the huge guy who was doing security. He reached down and patted me on the head as I staggered dripping into the dressing room. We later signed stuff for people who had come back to say hello. Most memorable was a conversation with Peter, a guy who looks a bit like Bruce Springsteen and a pretty hard case at first glance. He told me he'd been in Somalia a couple of years ago and had a young girl die in his arms while he was trying to find a vein to save her life. Consequently, he'd had a very bad year trying to come to terms with it and our music had helped him through it. There's more to all this than selling records. Tuesday, 8th of August, New York, Tramps. Woke up to the unmistakable sounds of Manhattan filtering into my bunk from 21st Street outside. Trucks thundering by, car horns, people shouting, and the city's peculiar ambience as its many sounds echo from the tall buildings. In Manhattan, you can actually hear the heat on hot days. There's also the characteristic taste of metal in the air. You could drop me into this place blindfolded and I would know I was here. Today's show was to be unusual in a number of respects. There are two bands playing this same venue today. Delamitri are doing a live radio broadcast at 7pm and we're on at 10.15. Our sound check will be at 12 midday so the crew are already inside Tramp's Club setting up the show. I snoozed a while longer but was eventually forced out of bed by pains in my stomach and an urgent need to visit the bathroom. Oh dear. I was overtaken by the suspicion that I was going down with something. I didn't feel quite right. Crossed the road and entered the club. Even the glitziest of nightclubs feel somewhat shabby in the cold light of morning, like many of the relationships they spawn. And tramps ain't glitzy at all. I kept my head down so as not to attract the crew's attention. I always feel partly to blame for the difficult gigs as I cross the dance floor in urgent need of the toilet. I won't go into too much detail other than to say it would appear my insides had turned to liquid. Return from the toilet feeling relieved but in no less pain. Maybe it was something I ate. I decided to go to Macy's and check out their supplies of Halston Z14 
So I hailed a cab and drove uptown in the hot sunshine of a high summer's morning in New York City, bumping over the holes in the road that the city can't afford to fix, through the sea of faces of every nation on the sidewalks, the advertisement hoardings, the bargain electronic shops, the delis and department stores. When we got to Macy's, I got out of the cab realising I hadn't made a note of where I'd come from. I know I mentioned 21st Street earlier, but I have since found that out. Oops. Well, I made a beeline for the correct part of the shop, but to no avail. They don't have talc or shower gel either. Came back out and hailed a cab. The cab driver was called Obi, and she was from Nigeria. What a brave, brave girl to drive a cab in this town. She'd never heard of tramps, so I pointed back down 6th Avenue and said, That way. We had to go back up 5th because of the one-way system. And eventually, after no small amount of trouble, I recognised a poster on a wall and decided we must be close. I paid the cab and walked round the corner where I found tramps, just where I'd left it, on 21st and 6th. Some people live and learn. Some people only live and live. Soundcheck surprised us all by sounding a lot better than it looked. As we were running through hard as love, Delamitri's crew were loading in. They stopped to listen and nodded approvingly. My stomach was feeling progressively worse as the day went on. We left the venue and took cabs to the Howard Johnson on 8th and 51st. Again, I decided to go walk about and try and locate a battery for my laptop. I made the mistake of spending most of the afternoon walking around Manhattan and gradually wore myself out. When I got back to the hotel, I felt extraordinarily weak and again in desperate need of the toilet. My digestive system was still turning all incoming solids into outgoing liquids. I necked half a bottle of Pepto-Bismol, a fluorescent pink American potion that settles the stomach whilst dyeing the insides black, including the tongue, as I had discovered a few years back in Canada. I thought I'd caught the black death. And went to bed for the rest of the day, foregoing dinner with the record company. At 8.30, I was summoned from a deep sleep by Tim, who was making the alarm call for departure in 45 minutes. I climbed out of bed and I knew immediately that I was in trouble. My head was pounding, my body was aching and my brain was demanding that I go nowhere other than back to bed. I staggered into the bathroom in order to commune with nature once again before downing Nurofen, more Pepto-Bismol and showering in an attempt to get myself into the mental shape required to spend two hours in front of a New York audience. Back at the venue, the place was packed with an enthusiastic crowd. Downstairs in the dressing room, I discovered some chicken pieces, which I ate in order to give my body something to liquidise during the show, and drank a couple of beers in order to give myself the will to do what must be done. David Stops, who used to manage Marillion in the early days, popped his head in the dressing room to say hello. He was with another chap who manages Suzanne Vega. Also, Dwayne Welsh had come over to see us. He's the son of the Shadows bass player, Bruce, the former business partner of John Arneson, and the man who pestered me to join Marillion. 
I wasn't really in the mood for meeting and greeting. It was almost a relief to get on stage and get on with it. The sound was not great, a cross between a riveting shop in a Clyde shipyard and the Battle of Borodino, but the crowd were in phenomenal spirits and singing along with every word. I was carried along by the energy of the people who more than compensated for my physical and acoustical woes. During the final encore, I threw myself into the crowd and, in so doing, panicked Stuart into making a run across the stage to help me. I didn't need any help, of course, our audience is a total sweetheart, but he wasn't to know. In the dash to get to me, he knocked an ice bucket into the mains distribution transformer, which duly went bang and all the back line went off, leaving Ian drumming on his own. We'd almost finished the set, so it wasn't as big a disaster as it might have been earlier. I shouted goodnight to the crowd, who had taken it all in good spirits, and were cheering as we left the stage. What a finish. After the show, I said hello to Tony and Susie Smith, and met a few people from the hit-and-run office in New York, before returning to the hotel to sleep. I climbed into bed, wondering how I'd managed to get up in the first place, let alone perform for two hours. And we're back. <laughs> and before we get on to questions about diary, we will tidy up a few little bits with regard to books and literary references. So I'll give you the first one. Uh, James Hamilton Patterson wrote Cooking with Fernabranca. Which uh, I have here. Ah, yes, uh, of course. Thoroughly recommended. I, oh, it's fantastic. I was just reading the recipe for Fernabranca ice cream, garlic and Fernabranca <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So I'll put a link, I'll put a link in the notes for that. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> right. And I've got a fire well, in my throat. Um <clears throat> so that's a bit of an end, an end to literary stuff. But um, the end of literature. You that's heard just it the, here. We we've just killed <laughs> literature, pretty much. Um, though to be fair, while, while we were taking a break, uh, I've I've had the new Robert Harris V two turn up. So that's quite nice. Oh, I quite like Robert Harris. That didn't crash through the ceiling or anything. <laughs> no, no, it's only a small one. It came through the letterbox. And I and I I've been looking at Peter Pan as well during the break. Yeah, that's fantastic. They don't mention um, Mrs. Darling's first name. She's just called Mrs. Darling. She was a lovely lady with a romantic mind and such a sweet, mocking mouth. Oh, love that. Her romantic mind was like the tiny boxes, one within the other, that come from the puzzling East. However many you discover, there is always one more. And her sweet, mocking mouth had one kiss on it that Wendy could never get though there it was, perfectly conspicuous in the right-hand corner. Wow. That's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, you think Brilliant. Peter Pan, you just sort of think of Disney and stuff, don't you? But it's yeah. an amazing piece of writing. And, uh, and how much good that book's done as well, in terms of uh, all the royalties? Oh, hang on a bit. I've had an outbreak. Have you? I've had, yeah, I'm just... Up. That's it. I just had an outbreak of piano play. <laughs> oh. Nice. <laughs> no, I was just saying that there's um, 
Because the royalties for that won't go to Great Ormond Street, don't they? Oh, that's true, yes. Yes, to this day, don't they? Mm. Yeah, it was redone. It came to an end and then it was it was, it was was redone. I don't know if it's been done for a period of time or in perpetuity, but, um, but yes, they uh, all the royalties from that book go to Great Ormond Street, which I think is brilliant. Mm. Mm. Anyway, back to diary. New Haven, um, but we're not going to talk too much about New Haven. We're going to really go straight to Manhattan. Um, because we had a bit of a downside of being love life on the road, didn't we? As in not being 100%. We did. I remember waking up that morning feeling fine um, because I was lying in my bunk listening to the the sounds and and the taste of Manhattan and remembering remembering them and thinking, wow, you know, this place has got a taste, taste of metal. And it's got a sound as the as the the traffic echoes of the tall buildings. And you, if you've been to Manhattan a few times, you know you were there with your eyes closed because mm. it's it's got a sound all of its own. So I must have felt fine at that point, but then later on in the day, I started to feel very ill, um, and my insides turned to water. Um, I couldn't get off the loo. I think it was after the sound check and I couldn't even get out of bed and I remember lying there thinking there's just no way on earth I can do a show tonight. What on earth am I going to do? Um, I'll just try and stay in bed for as long as possible and try and sleep it off and I couldn't. And, I, you know, between trying to sleep it off and trying to stay off the loo. And then I went back to the show. Uh, I managed to get back there somehow and I thought, well, I'm, I better just drink loads. <laughs> so I did. Um, and I managed to get on stage and I managed to get through it. Um, and at the very end, I even ended up crowd surfing, which is probably pretty <laughs> dangerous for the crowd considering the, 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 the state I was in. Uh, that could have ended badly, but uh, I think I was all right, except that... Uh, Stuart every knocked Mark Kelly's ice bucket into the mains and, and everything went bang and went off. And that was the end of the evening. Um, but, you know, that's, li- that's, that's road life. If you get ill, you, you can't arrive with a note from you. You can't send a note from your mum instead of you and say, you know, H isn't up to it tonight, sorry and all that. I mean, you've got to do it no matter how you feel. The show must go on, and all of that. I, I do think if if anybody had known what state you're in, the the crowd could have parted at the point when you jumped into the audience. <laughs> they definitely would have. <laughs> and if there's anybody who's got fond memories of that particular gig and 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 transporting H across the crowd, you might look back on that slightly differently yes. in hindsight. You don't know how close you came. <laughs> I, th- I think as well, it's it's kind of you know serendipitous. Bearing in mind that um, Stuart pours a, a bucket of water and the back line goes out with a great big bang, and of course you walk into your house last night and press the light switch and the house goes with a great big bang. And you know. that's true. That's true. Isn't it funny? All yes. circles, electrical explosions. It's been been a week of them. <laughs> been a week of electrical explosions. <laughs> And you were telling me that um, that it wasn't on this particular 
jaunt. It must have been later because French is involved. But um, you end up meeting an eye wizard whilst in New York and not being well one night. That was another occasion. Uh, it might even have been the last time we played in New York. I was in, I was in a right old state that time as well, and and I went to see I went to see two doctors during that stay. I think um, I was just generally not feeling very well. But then I sweated some more hair product into my eyes, which I do from time to time because some people live and learn and some people don't. Um, and um, I'd, I'd got incredibly sore eyes. Um, I think it was hair product unless it was something else. Um, but there's a kind of a reaction you can have. Um, because your eyes are so close to your brain, there's a thing called a vasal vagal reaction which uh, sends your body haywire. And I didn't know anything about this. I just knew that I'd got very sore eyes and then I knew that I was collapsing and fainting and feeling sick and got pains in various limbs. And I uh, I found Frenchie, the tour manager, and said, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble here, Frenchie. Fortunately, it was a day off. I said, but I'm in trouble here. I don't know what's the matter with me. Um, but I, I can't stand up and... Uh, I feel I, f- I feel very ill, and uh, I've got these massive pains in my eyes. And Frenchie found me a, a little Jewish eye doctor, um, who had this little surgery in this side street in Manhattan. It's a shame I can't remember his name. Um, and he was a funny little sort of slightly shabby guy. You expect doctors to be a bit slick, don't you? And he wasn't. He was more more of the kind of academic a- academic sort, the ones that were all covered in dust, you know. So um, he looked a bit shabby, but he was a genius. And Frenchie practically had to carry me into that surgery. I was in such a state. He plunked me down in this chair and he shone a bright light in my eyes and he said, oh, yes, could be a vasal vagal reaction. And he said, just lie back. You're going to feel absolutely fine in 20 seconds. And uh, I remember thinking, yeah, right. And he dropped two little drops of something in one eye and then in the other. And in as as those 10 or 20 seconds passed, everything cleared, like the clouds going away, and I suddenly felt absolutely fine. Um, and I said, that's incredible, that's biblical. What on earth is that? And he explained that it was this reaction you can have if you're in a lot of pain in your eyes, your whole body can go haywire. And he just put some um, something to relieve the pain in my eyes, and 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 as that went away, everything else went away with it. So that was quite extraordinary. And then I think during the same, during the same, it might have even been the same day during the same visit, I went to another doctor in Manhattan who gave me more drugs than I've ever seen in my life. They they, they seem to be on a mission to give you as many drugs as possible when you go and see them. I think I'd got a bit of cold and flu. And he gave me all of these prescriptions. And he said, oh, you'll need some of those and you should perhaps have some of those and have some of these. Uh, oh, and you should, I'll give you a prescription for these, but don't take these unless you feel particularly awful in another week or so. And and so 
I came out of there rattling with bottles and drugs. And, um, and as I was leaving, he said, oh, and if you like, if you want to pop back tomorrow, I'll give you a steroid injection in your backside. He said, you'll have a great show. So uh, I said, oh, I might just do that. And of course I did. And uh, he stuck this thing in my backside before the show. And um, I thought, well, I don't feel any different. Seems a bit, you know, seem, seems I don't feel any different at all. Anyway, I went on stage and I was just, I, did, <laughs> I, I ran around like a chicken with no head on for for two hours. And, and that was the gig where I stood on top of the piano and broke it, and it, you know, and the stand broke and I think I was actually stood on top of it at the time. So there we are. New York. York. New York. And all that. Oh, well, we'll leave it there. I don't don't think we can top that. Um, We've had a crack at sounding educated, and I don't know how well we've pulled it off. Um, But we've we've done drugs really well. (laughs) Tells you all you need to know. Tells you all you need to know. Oh, right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll wish you, wish you adieu, and see you in a week. Thank you very much, Steve Hogarth. Inspired more by drugs than books. Signing off. Thank you for the subs. Those purple subs, those rootsy subs you gave me. I'm grateful for the subs. We couldn't do the TCD without you Thank you, Graham Ed And Jonathan, Lynn Scott and Ralph Rea My thoughts have all been shared With all the purple in a circle here Days I'll remember all my life Days when you can't see wrong from right You took my time But pretty soon I guess I knew you'd leave me But that's alright I wouldn't change a single day, believe me Days I'll remember all my life Days when you can't see wrong from right You took my time But never mind Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>